Welcome to the Disease to Your podcast on the topic of equine strangles with Dr. Ashley Boyle. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease to Your podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Boyle, who is a DVM DACVIM, is an associate professor of medicine, section of field service at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center. She received her DVM from Cornell University and was boarded internal medicine at UC Davis. Her research interests center around equine infectious disease, especially strangles and vaccination. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Boyle. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us today, especially about strangles, because most veterinarians will have to deal with either a single case or an outbreak of strangles during their career. So can you tell us, you know, talking to our veterinarians, our vet students, our vet techs, why is strangles spread so easily? It is a very highly contagious disease, Kim. And one of the ways that it is easily spread is that we sometimes have carrier animals that we don't um, know are carrying it. Um, so they're silent carriers and they may actually be carrying it and, and spread the disease that way. Water buckets are definitely um, a source of spread and that wet moisture. The bacteria can live for a long time. One of the recent papers by Durham et al. Um, showed that it depended on the ambient temperature outside as well as the moisture content for how long that bacteria can stick around. And it was found that in wet environments in cold weather, it could actually stick around for maybe as long as 35 days, like in a wet nasogastric tube was their example. So water buckets can definitely be a source if there's shared water buckets. It can also be, um, you know, spread on as other fomites. So people can act as fomites. Tack can act as fomites. Um, so these silent carriers can actually certainly um, spread it that way. I mean, that's an issue we know, uh, especially when people are either buying horses, rescuing horses and you know, moving horses around so much that it it, uh, it certainly can be a problem. So let me tap into some of your research interest here with strangles. What have we learned about strangles in the past decade that you would say is kind of maybe a, a little refresher or maybe not everyone has gotten to to stay up to date? I know I loved the research you were just quoting about how long that strangles can stick around, which we didn't know, and how easily it is to be transferred on different fomites. But what else has, has come up in the research? Yeah, so one of the things that we've shown is that PCR is definitely much more sensitive than a culture. And so the question is, you know, should you be testing with PCR or culture? And in my opinion, we should be testing with PCR. You can certainly do culture as well, but you may actually miss some some animals if you actually just do culture. Um, and that's definitely in like the especially in the convalescent horses that are um, recovering from strangles, PCR is going to pick up that smaller amount of bacteria that the culture may not. And what we don't know, unfortunately, is how infectious that horse is that may be PCR positive and culture negative. Um, but we do know that there are some horses that have, there have been examples where some horses have actually um, spread the disease in this way. Um, there was a recent paper from Dr. Cohen's group at Texas A&M where they were looking at the sequencing of 
of an outbreak. Um, and they actually found that they had actually caused an outbreak by accident um, from their research animals because what they had done, they had actually had done cultures on all the horses to release them into the herd and all those cultures were negative but what they did find was that the outbreak that they created was actually from their research horses and and in their research herd and so it showed that they probably should have used pcr as a way to test to make sure that they were negative um, before they released them back into the herd yeah that's uh that's that's a critical point. I know I talked to Dr. Cohen a little bit about some of the research that they have done, and they that's pretty fascinating, some of the things that they have, have looked into. So what else in the research realm as far as strangles would you like to share with the, the vets on our podcast? Definitely taking more than one sample can, is is useful as well. A group in Sweden found the more samples they took um, when they were trying to find samples in, a, in the acute phase. Um, so if you think that you have a horse that may actually have strangles and that comes up negative, I recommend taking another sample because there you may not actually catch them right away. I mean, we do know already that the horses don't shed for you know up to 48 hours prior to, um, or up to 48 hours after starting having a fever. So you may actually be catching them too early if you're getting a negative. So the more samples you can take, which I know can be um, problematic in trying to, you know, get an answer for the client and so forth. But if you are suspicious, take more samples um, and also take uh, this isn't quite from the research necessarily, but take the sample that you see. So if you're if you're um, staring at a the abscess, aspirate that abscess um, because that's going to be a gold mine for you. Another thing that we that we looked at was that we compared the samples of horses that were convalescent. So we we're looking at the trying to find carriers after the outbreak and trying to declare that horses were negative. We actually did a nasopharyngeal swab and then a nasopharyngeal wash. And then we did a guttural pouch wash. And we found that the samples in the guttural pouch were 50 times more likely to find positives than the other two samples, the the, the nasopharyngeal samples. That being said, there's also Dr. Pringle's group in Sweden. They, in, in our research, we actually never had a horse that was positive on the nasal pharynx and negative on the guttural pouch. But Dr. Pringle's group in Sweden did an outbreak where they actually did it over a series of time, a series of times, and they did have some that were nasopharyngeal positive and guttural pouch negative. So. Oh. Probably the collective answer is to actually try to get a sample from both areas when you're trying to determine that a horse is negative to do a kind of a combined nasopharyngeal guttural pouch wash. And, and that can be done by, you know, infusing the sample into the into the guttural pouch and then collecting from the nose. And so you're getting a sample from both areas. Good, good tip there. Yeah. Again, and, and a little bit because you're dealing with us a lot, not only as a researcher, but, you know, in the real world with clients. Give us some tips for, for diagnosis and quarantine and getting the message across to owners, you know, that this has to take a little while. Yes. Yeah. And that, that is, Kim, that's definitely the, one of the most challenging things is that it, that it does take a while. So as I mentioned before, getting maybe more than one sample, especially if you are 
testing a horse that, you know, has a fever that maybe doesn't have some of the other signs yet, if they don't have the nasal discharge or the um, submandibular lymph nodes um, or retropharyngeal lymph node enlargement, you may need to wait until they have some of those signs before you actually get a positive. So you might have to take samples more than once if you're really suspicious of, of a horse having strangles. And then taking from what you see, so take an aspirate of the lymph node that's enlarged or take a nasopharyngeal sample if you have nasal discharge, then you should really get a positive sample from, from that horse in the acute phase. You don't always have to go into the guttural pouch um, right away because sometimes that's actually not where they're positive yet um, in the beginning. And then another thing to kind of emphasize is the importance of isolating. One of the things that I sometimes have to challenge my clients to to remember is that with any infectious disease, the, the amount that you're going to end up having the disease go through the herd, the infectious load and the amount that the animal is exposed to the disease is going to play a role in how much it's going to go through that that herd. And so often people are like, well, it's already on the farm. Like, I you know, I, I can't isolate. They're already all exposed. Well, they're not necessarily all exposed. And so they may be exposed a little bit, but not enough to actually get it. So so it really is helpful to um, use that fact that um, taking temperatures is really helpful by the fact that they don't spread the disease up to 48 hours after the onset of the first fever. So if you can get your clients to do the temperatures and isolate the horses that do develop the fevers and develop Develop the disease, develop the clinical signs of nasal discharge and and submandibular lymph lymph nodes and retropharyngeal lymph nodes. Then you're going to actually help contain your outbreak. I mean, I've had outbreaks in young herds that were naive. And if you, I mean, what we ended up doing was making the barn, the quote unquote hospital and keeping everyone else outside. I mean, luckily we had good weather. It was the fall and it wasn't bad weather, but we were able to contain it to a small number by doing that. It, it can be very disruptive to people because, you know, they may not feel like they don't have the right place to isolate, but sometimes you actually have to make makeshift isolation pens to keep the horses from being, you know, to create a double fence. Movable pens are your friend with strangles. <laughs> Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their unconditional investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program and the partnership with Equitrace, which delivers secure, streamlined record-keeping and instantaneous temperature measurement when coupled with Merck Animal Health Biotherm Microchips. Visit MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com for more information. You had mentioned uh, the young herds, but occasionally we have seen it from some of my, what my vet friends have said, we're seeing some older horses now that are getting strangles, which usually, you know, that was like, oh, once they get past a certain age, they've been exposed and they're fine. But that's not necessarily the case. 
Yeah, so they one may may not have been exposed in their life, and then also the exposure and the immunity that that they develop is a waning immunity with just like with any disease. I mean, um, I mean we've obviously seen that with COVID that you can be exposed and and then potentially get it again. Maybe not so much because there's a different strain out there, but because the it, with strangles, but because it's um there's a waning immunity. So the other thing is if an animal has been treated with antibiotics, there some of that's also some of the newer research that's come out is that when we've looked at titers, which titers are not necessarily definitely indicative of having protection, but it's the closest thing we have in the blood um, that would say that, you know, there's been exposure and, and, and that maybe there's been, maybe there is some protection. We've seen that some of the horses that are developed, that have been treated with antibiotics don't actually necessarily mount um, good titers. So, it's not necessarily that it's bad to treat with antibiotics because sometimes you need to, but be aware of the fact that they may not actually mount a good immune response and may be susceptible to disease fairly soon after an outbreak, um, especially if they've been treated with antibiotics. And what is the risk of bastard strangles? The risk of bastard strangles is very, I mean, there's older literature that talks about, you know, potentially being as high as, as 20% in, in cases that develop disease. Um, in a retrospective that we did in the, in the last 10 years, we looked at 188 horses that had, or about 180 horses that had, um, disease retrospectively. And I think we only had, we actually didn't have any that developed bastard strangles. It can d- depend on, you know, on how they're managed, how, how sick they come down with the disease. You know, that being said, uh, you know, more recently since that retrospective, I've had, you know, one in the field that did develop some bastard strangles. So, so I think it, somewhat has to do with um, the load of their infection and how sick they get. And then their risk goes higher because of that. Um, it's also thought to be a higher risk in the younger animals and potentially potentially in the foals. But there isn't any literature that, out there that, you know, proves that. But clinically, people see that. And what is the, the veterinarian's role in in a strangles outbreak, I mean, how do they coach their owners about prevention, which, you know, it's every owner, you know, they've either gotten a new horse, they just bought it, they can't wait to put it out in the arena and throw it in the barn. And, you know, what what is their role in helping owners understand prevention and managing an outbreak? I mean, the most conservative way to aggressive way, depending on how you look at it, when you bring a new horse is to actually isolate that animal for two to three weeks. And I I would say three weeks, because even though we say the incubation period is can be up to two weeks, you, you know, I think that there's some some stragglers that don't follow the textbook rules and so forth. So, and it also helps with other diseases such as the viral diseases to isolate for three weeks when you bring on a new horse on new horse in. So often that is difficult to do. 
boarding stables, there isn't the facility or, you know, the owner doesn't necessarily want them in a paddock by themselves versus in a stall in the main barn. So another thing that a veterinarian can do to help those clients is is to perform a, a guttural pouch wash to examine the guttural pouch to make sure that there's no visible abnormalities of the respiratory epithelium uh, within the guttural pouch and to do a lavage and run a PCR on that to see if they're positive, especially if they come from high-risk situations. Um, now, if they come from high-risk situations and, you know, if they're coming through a, a sale that maybe a history of strangles going through that sale and so forth or or having an unknown history, then you probably should do a combination of the two things to be really careful because you want to have a period where you can see whether the horse comes down with it because you actually, you know, if you go into the guttural pouch right away on day one and the horse just came from the facility, it hasn't had enough time to incubate the disease. And, and you, like I mentioned before, you're, you're testing too early. So the combination of those two things can be very helpful. I mean, obviously it can be um, labor intensive for the veterinarian and the client and, and a cost associated with that, but it will, um, it will definitely, you know, provide you with the most, you know, sense of security from coming down with, you know, spreading the disease. Anything else that you would like to mention about equine strangles? I mean, you're, you've got it, you're, you're talking about it. You don't have it. You're talking about it in your research and, and you keep up with all that. And of course you also are in clinical practice. So anything else you would like to add out to our veterinarian listeners? I mean, there there is a, a new vaccine that's coming down the pipeline for, in Europe. So um, maybe we might see that come to the United States sometime in the near future with three intramuscular vaccinations. Um, this has been shown to have like a 90 percent of efficacy rate. So so that that's one thing that might be coming down the pipeline, but that that may be a couple of years down the line the way the regulations and so forth go. You know, the current vaccines are another way to help protect animals um, against disease. I mean, they're not 100% effective. I mean, we all know we all know that as veterinarians that that no vaccine is 100% effective. But hope for for it to be, um, you know, provide some protection. There are some horses that will come down with the disease that is a lighter version of the disease, so less severe if they've been vaccinated. So there is that potential um, out there. If you're dealing with a like an endemic farm or a horse that you think that might be at higher risk of um, developing the disease and maybe using the vaccine is the, is one is a good way. Now, the one thing to, to comment on the vaccines is that it, right now we don't recommend actually vaccinating in the face of an outbreak because there's risk of purpura hemorrhagica, um, so an immune-mediated complex disease. Some of the work that we've done, we've looked at the titers kind of after outbreaks, and it seems like the titers kind of normalize. Um, if they are increased, they normalize by about one year, or you can test, you know, if you're unsure, you can do an SEM titer and see um, what that titer is before you vaccinate um, to make sure that you're not putting the horse at risk of purpura. That's a good point. And is there anything else, Dr. Boyle, that you would like to talk about strangles today? 
There is another titer out there that is being used in Europe. You may read a lot about that in um, the literature, but unfortunately right now that's not available in the United States. And it actually may have, this is a combined SEQ 2190 and SEM titer. It's a combined ELISA. And so it's looking for two markers versus just one. But right now it's only available in um, overseas in Europe and the United Arab Emirates and so forth. The one thing with any of these titers, the vaccines will actually in, interact with all the vaccines that we currently have in the United States will interact with with this with these titers. So the titer overseas talks about using it in an like outbreak situation, and it might show um, horses that have been exposed as close as two weeks, uh, as recently as two weeks. But if a horse has been vaccinated, it will also come up positive. So um, we showed that in a recent study that um, in horses that were vaccinated with the, with Pinnacle, that they were um, positive on this titer, just like they are on an SEM titer, the, the titer that's available here in the United States. So unfortunately, we can't differentiate between vaccinated and actual disease, whereas overseas, they don't vaccinate as much and they're with the with the older vaccines. This newer vaccine that has um, been approved the UK and in Europe is what is called a, a DIVA vaccine. So you can differentiate infected animals from vaccinated animals. So that's one thing that will um, potentially be useful going forward. And you, you, tell, you can differentiate, you know, on the serology on these titers. That's really good to know. Something to uh, to look toward, but yeah. Is there anything else that uh, you would like to talk with our listeners today about strangles? I think that's it at this at the moment. Yeah, it's a it's a fun disease because everybody's going to see it at some point in their career, and and now that we've talked about it, hopefully they'll have a few more tips uh, from you, Doctor Boyle, about how to handle it and maybe even how to prevent it. So, thank you, Doctor Boyle, for joining me today on this episode of Disease Du Jour. You're welcome. My pleasure. Yeah. And a big thanks to our listeners and a special thanks to our 2022 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite our listeners to rate each episode of Disease Du Jour on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you like to work. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 